Well, today we are collaborating on our podcast. We've got Brandy Chun and Billy Bailey here from Porch Stories. And I'm Megan Zamora, your host for A Place Called Porch. And I could not be more happy about having these two on the podcast with me today and to be just co-working together on this particular episode. Uh, Well, really, it's a series about the land. And what we're talking about doing is um, we're going to give some historical context for tribal land and and particularly porches land. And then we are going to be giving some different perspectives about the land from legal perspective to how our land is currently being used and so on and so forth. So with that, um, Billy and Brandy, thank y'all for agreeing to be co-collaborators on this. (laughs) Thank you, Megan. Yeah, thank you for having us. Of course. Um, So let's talk about just land in general. So Porch, um, Porch Band of Creek Indians is able to operate as a tribe and have that federal recognition and that government-to-government relationship with the federal government because of not only the community and having met all of those requirements that the federal government makes you have to go through in order to be a federally recognized tribe, but also because we have this land, too. And land is something that is so important to Native Americans everywhere. Um, so let's let's talk about the land. What, what in general, what do you think, why do you think land is so important to Native Americans? And Billy, I'll, I'll start with you first. Well, I think me and Brandy talked about it right before we come in. Land, if you think about when you're, when you pass away and you're buried and you talk about dust to dust and you go back to the land, way, way Brandy was explaining it to me is that land it's part of us. It's part of our people. It's part of our ancestors. Um, I think that's a good way to think of it. It's like all tribes would put their people back in the ground or uh, cremation of some some sort, and they would go back to the land. And um, I think that's a good way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Brandy, what do you? What are, What are your thoughts on that? Well, I I believe the same thing, but I believe that land is a resource. Um, it sustains us, it's been here, it's here before, and it's still going to be here. So for us to be able to take care of it, it's going to make sure that it, if we take care of it, it's going to take care of us, which means that land is an important resource. Um, the land is some, again, take care of us, um, not only with food sources, but there's also, you know, medicine and things about the land that um, takes care of us. So I just believe that, land when you think about how awesome it is and then you talk about how land was taken away in a certain sense that's why it's so devastating so you're talking about people that have lived in the same land and we can also say that we are from that aboriginal land where our people have always lived and become accustomed to that land and then you know so i can say that i walked here i've been here this land has sustained me my family five, four families that have been here before us. So I just think of the land is almost like a, um, a genealogy. It's, mm. a, it's a thing of um, 
keeping us going and keeping us forward moving. If I mean that's kind of very deep, but that's super deep. <laughs> Man, we we launched off deep right to right to begin with. I love that uh, though. And you know, we always say that, of course, you know, um, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Well, that makes sense because when you pe- put put people on the ground and they go back to their original land, or you know, it's that those are our people. That's the land that has sustained us, and we're still here with that. Mm-hmm. I think that's so beautiful, and and kind of just to tie what the two of you have both expressed. I think another another perspective that comes to mind is you know those oral histories and those things that are handed down from generation to generation. You know that is something that has carried us and sustained us as Creek people too, and I think that. You know, our elders and ancestors have shared that with us through through the time and help help make us who we are today. And it does tie into the land because it's like they have taken care of us in life through sharing their stories and their trials and their challenges and their victories and their lessons learned. But they also continue to take care of us even in death because their bodies help nurture the earth. Oh, for sure. Literally. Definitely. Oh, for sure. So we are definitely tied to this land, not just in a, a abstract way, but in a very literal way. We come from this land, and our people are part of this land, literally. I think well, if you talk to a lot of people they that's moved away, they always come back here. Mm. And I think there's a reason behind that is they have their roots here their people are here even in even after death mm-hmm. their people are still here so they it's hard for them to completely leave this area mm-hmm. and i think it's helpful to talk about what land did the creek nation originally occupy well the creek nation was one of the larger um it was more of a conglomeration of many towns, Muscogean-speaking towns. So that's what you would call the Creek Nation. And it occupied all of Georgia, much of Alabama, much, uh, parts of Florida, southern parts of Tennessee, maybe. It was a, a lot of the southeast. Mm-hmm. And I recently I was up in uh, Cherokee, North Carolina, and did not realize how much land Cherokees, um, what how how large their ancestral homelands yeah. were as well. They they covered several states as well, bits and bits and pieces, just like we did. So a lot of tribes, Cherokees, Choctaws, they would mesh in and mix in with Creek lands. Maybe it was disputed hunting lands one one year. Creeks may have it one year. Choctaws may have mm. it. One, it was kind of back and forth. So. We all kind of worked on top of each other on the borders of our lands. And which, not to get us too far off track, but that's also where stickball played a, yes, a significant role in handling those land disputes, too. Yes. Um, Brandy, you want to speak about that a little bit? Well, I just know that there, you know, we've always had, I guess, like Billy said, that original land. And um, not necessarily like a defined line of mm-hmm. a border or things like that, but also a designated border, if you want to make, you know, kind of like, okay, that's Creek territory, that's 
And I know there's been times that they would have to play a game or something to um, settle the dispute over land, whether that be um, hunting land or things like that. Mm -hmm. So um, a good example of that was, I think, Choctaw Bluff. Mm. And um, that was, you know, one of those things that was decided over over a game of stickball. That's really interesting. Where is Choctaw Bluff? I'm not familiar with it, actually. Let me think how I can tell you where it is. It is, I think it's like... um, Thomasville. Okay. Like, I think. That's the best. Yeah. On the river going up uh, Thomasville. Yeah. Okay. So around that area. Is that, then. Is that Tom Bigby? Yeah. 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 Near Tom Bigby River. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm very navigationally I'm challenged. Google it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. No, you're asking somebody <laughs> that doesn't talk. I mean, but that's in the Tempo Department. That's what we work under is those borders. Mm-hmm. Everything within those borders is our area of interest. Mm-hmm. So. There's so many sites, and you have to think about, okay, what one yeah. we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. So now it's clearly defined because we have to as far yeah. as making a service area. We clearly had to define it define it because we don't want to step on other tribes' toes. Yeah. Sure, sure. And it is a group effort. It's not just, I mean, there will be other times that, right, other yeah, tribes we, are called in. We so. work with other tribes. Yeah. Um, a number of other southeastern tribes will come in and help us with Yeah things, archaeological sites and stuff like that. And I think that's important to talk about just briefly. You know, both of you are from his Tribal Historic Preservation Office, and part of the work that you do is a lot of consultation as it comes across, you know, your purview or across your desk or your email or whatever, you get called upon to say like, hey, we've come in contact, you know, from this museum or this um archival, you know, organization or whatnot. Hey, we came across this collection. We think that it may be culturally significant to you all as Creek people, you know, and so then by law, they have to enter into consultation um, to determine what to do with those articles, so on and so forth. And what we're finding um, is that what you it was it really ties in perfectly with what you mentioned earlier, which is these borders were not in the colonial sense of borders. Was it wasn't like a, a defined line. It yeah right. a state line. It was right. One day, one week it may be this. Next week it may be this. It was fluid. Yes, it was fluid, and it depend like I guess, and I'm and I am making an assumption there was an understanding of like, hey, we know that this area here is creek territory, but you go past this creek or this stream or this river, and we know that on the other side it's Choctaw territory or Cherokee territory. And if we want to establish that as our territory, then we have to play a game of stickball or or settle it some kind of way. Hunting rights was a big thing. I mean, it was part of their livelihood, so... Say, just for instance, the Mobile Delta separate Creek and Choctaw. Mm. Maybe the Choctaw wants some hunting rights on this side of the Mobile Delta. They may have to play a ball game to get the hunting rights mm-hmm. because there's a lot of good hunting on this side. Mm-hmm. And same vice versa if it's Creek. And what you're talking about with the consultations of of artifacts and things, that's the NAGPRA side. Then we also have the 106 side that's more land-focused. Okay. Section 106 side is more land-focused. It's um, focused on businesses or federal federal agencies that are wanting to 
build or something on a site, they have to consult consult with us and let us know if there's an archaeological site there, what we, what can we do to remedy them to still be able to do something there or not be, be, be built there or destroy it. It's kind of like us. That's where our preservation comes in is preserving these sites and stuff like that. Mm, okay. Thank you for sharing that because I think that, you know, I think it's important to delineate, okay, Section 106 versus NAGPRA. Yeah. Okay. So let's get a little bit more focused in on Porch's land. So we know that um, we have about how many acres in trust, Billy? Uh, at one time I was I was told 300. It was... 320-ish, 350-ish. It was in that 300 range. Okay. So we know we've got 300 and something odd acres that have been um, taken into trust for the benefit of the tribe. Now, how did that happen? Um, That land was every tribe that is federally recognized, the federal government gives them land they take in land and trust the federal government in their name and it's given to the tribes to be able to operate on Mm. so that's how that land the land that started it all was the lynn mcgee land land grant land and they took in some of that land and took in land like where there's consolidated school was um things like that little small little sex here and there that the federal government bought up and or maybe not even bought it up, but got and gave it to trust for um, for operations. Okay. So let's talk about <clears throat> Lynn McGee. Who was Lynn McGee? We've heard, I mean, we, we even have a road named after Lynn McGee here on the tribe. So apparently he is a significant individual in Porch's history. I remember whenever I was going through the Princess Contest, you know, you see his, he, he is one of those notable figures in our tribe's history. But we don't really hear a lot about Lynn McGee and who he really was. So, Brandy, <laughs> why don't you share with us who Lynn McGee was? Well, um, what I would consider Lynn McGee in my own perception and my own is that he was our oldest patriarch of our tribe. So where it started and then also the land that was given to him in that honor as far as the um, Treaty of Fort Jackson. So with all of that, that was going on with the Creek Wars. Um, so one way or another, everyone here that I've kind of paid attention to, uh, most of us all stream back to Lynn McGee. Some way, somehow. Some way, somehow or another. So that's why when we walk around town and where we walk around porch, we can say, oh, that's my cousin. Because figuratively, we're talking and we're saying that's the truth. That's a, that's a fact. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that comes from Lynn McGee. Um, we're talking about Lynn McGee around 1800s, early 1800s, when Lynn McGee very, becomes very prominent. Um, there's not a lot of records, but what we do have is that a guy, Lynn McGee, who was a friendly creek. Mm. Um, you see that mentioned about his character and a lot of um, research that we have and um, a lot of things mentioned about him being um, very honest. Mm. Um also, I'm trying to think back. I'm I'm getting my thoughts. So, Billy, why don't you take over? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like That's I was going somewhere. You was that, going, and then it's like you was going. <laughs> Go yeah. ahead and take it. <laughs> okay. So, Lynn, Lynn McGee was 
a Creek interpreter. Okay. Creek scout. He done some work for Dixon Bailey, which was another Creek plantation owner. He done a lot of uh, work during around the Battle of Fort Mims, helping um, scout and interpret for the Americans. But also, he was someone that lived in the Tinsaw area. Yes, he lived. When we're talking about Porch Creek, Tinsaw area is one of those areas that um, is very uh, significant to our history as well. As far as talking and about Tinsaw is down like around Stockton, Stockton, um, Little River area, all that area of um, Baldwin County, Monroe County line there, mm-hmm. um, and the Tinsaw area is is where a lot of our ancestors settled after they moved from the creek towns around middle of Alabama, Georgia area. They moved down here. A lot of them were uh, cattle farmers and things, and there was a lot of uh, free-range land here still. So the free range, they brought their cattle down to free-range to free range their cattle because the way I was taught, the way I was taught to was that a lot of um, – our ancestors had their cattle around these creek towns. If you know anything about creek towns, they have gardens and things like that. And their cattle would get in these gardens. Mm-hmm. The cattle would eat their gardens and stuff. And these people, and then the towns was like, "We got to do something about your cattle. We get you. You got to make the money. You got to have. You got to live now because of encroachment of Europeans. You got to do what you got to do." So they requested to the Creek National Council, "Hey, can I?" Can I move? Uh, can we move down this area and raise our cattle down here? It's close to where it was closer to the coast, where they a lot of them uh, done their cattle cattle sales and stuff down in Pensacola, and mm. so they moved it down towards Tensaw, where they could free range cattle. I see. I think it it's interesting that you hear that area of Tensaw a lot in our history, but mm-hmm. it's not actually part of our tribal land. Like it's not part of our trust land. It's not part of our trust land. Um, that land had a lot of Creek people, and then after removal, one some of them got removed, some of them got gave, given grant grant lands and things like that. Ones like Lynn McGee ended up with a grant land that was uh, here and in Huxford, had land grants here in Huxford, so they just kind of dispersed away from there. There's still some ancestry and descendants that live in that area, mm-hmm. but the majority moved down here. Because mm, that's where the land grant was given, yes. was here. And he allowed his heirs. See, Lynn McGee never got to live on the land grants here. Really? His heirs lived on the land here, his sons uh-huh. and daughters. And they allowed other other Creek people to live next to them. Like-minded people flocked together. So they was all like-minded Similar people, they all and they allowed them to live on this these six hundred and forty acres of land until they was able to get homestead lands and things like that for themselves. Mm. That's and, and very isn't interesting. It, um, isn't it that um, even Lemnegee's land was burned and um, during that creek, yeah. uh, yes, the Red Stick movement. So, you know, you're taking away somebody that was prominent or very um, yes, doing well for themselves, and then you know you have the Creek Wars. Well, his land, Lemnagee land, was also burned, and you know things. Um, then st- someone started ri- living on his original homestead land. Mm. So when we talk about um, projects with uh, Tippo, 
Yeah, I think that'd be a great thing to um, yes. maybe find that original find Lit that McGee original land. Homestead. See, his his during the Creek War, his house was burned mm. after the Creek War. I'm a, I'm thinking if I can recall that he was injured mm-hmm. and he was living with Dixon Bailey, which was up the river from Tinsall. Mm. And so then a non-Indian person started um, farming his land and living on his land. Pretty much took his land in that area and at the Tinsall. So that's when he started petitioning. Hey, you gave me this land. Somebody's there. Can you give me some land somewhere else? And they petitioned and kept fighting. And eventually he was able to get the land here, which his heirs took in. That's really cool, Billy, because I never knew that before. And so just to recap, make sure I'm processing it. It's downloading into my brain. (laughs) So Lynn McGee was around during the time of the Creek Wars early 1800s and his property was his land was destroyed during the creek wars so then he was injured went and lived with dixon bailey and while he was there somebody came and squatted on his land essentially and basically took over ownership of it and then that's why he started petitioning to say hey my land somebody just Come in here and snatch my land. Snatch my land up. So he he worked for Dixon Bailey. Okay. Mm -hmm. When he wasn't working for the government and scouting and running, helping with the ferry and all this, I mean, he was he worked for Dixon Bailey as the as a ferryman, as um, helping his plantation as a cattleman, cattleman Mm. things like that. So when Dixon Bailey passed away, he got some of Dixon Bailey's cattle, and it was he was really. In with Dixon Bailey. And now Dixon Bailey was a plantation owner. A mm-hmm. Creek plantation. He was Creek. Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, do we know if Lynn McGee, I'm, I, and again, I'm making an assumption, but I'm assuming he was mixed Creek. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do we know what all uh, of his ancestry consists? Creek mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scottish. Scottish father. But because of matrilineal. He's full Creek. He's full Creek. He's, mm-hmm. Because he was raised Creek. A matrilineal he spoke the language. Matrilineal way of life, Creek. His mother's Creek. He's Creek. Mm-hmm. Got it. All right. So that gets us up to the land grant. So he's petitioning the government. Hey, my land got taken. I need a place to be able to live and raise my family and provide for myself. I need some land. So that's where the land grant comes in. Yes. Which is present-day port. So, well, this land down here was um, federal lands. Like, you know you can go on, like, certain federal properties, uh, hunting lands, and go hunt on them. The Delta, certain things like that. Okay. It was kind of a free, free-range free land, and that's what this was, was free-range. There's still some of that free-range land, like, in the West. Okay. You can, they, they can run their cattle across it, things like that. Mm. So this was free-range, free-range land, nothing but trees okay so he was like well i can run my cattle down here i can do all that stuff down here so he petitioned them to get the land they gave it to him and a hat they couldn't find a place to give him the full 640 acres in one spot okay so they split it in half half of it is up um around huxford okay. far from the huxford school uh-huh. and then the other half is right by behind judson cemetery Judson Cemetery, all the way down to what is that? Martin, around Martin Road. I think that's where it is, that it where it cuts off. 
So they split it in half, and part of it went here, part of it went towards Huxford. So that original Lynn McGee land grant, it sounds like that is different than what is our trust land now. Yes, some of it is. Some of our trust land now is still Lynn McGee land. land grant. Okay, and then some of the trust land is owned by Lynn, some of Lynn McGee's more direct, more direct type it's descendants. Sentence. Yes, so it's still owned. It's still within the tribe. Mm. Uh, the ones the land here, mm-hmm. the land in Huxford, is not owned by tribal members. Okay, and so when you talk about reservation. We're not that continuation of land like a lot of times that you see um, a continuation. Because I've had that working at the museum. People will come and say, okay, where does your reservation begin? And where can we come? And where can we, you know, mm-hmm. can we drive through? Mm-hmm. So it is a complicated um, when we talk about land and reservation land and, you know, what we have access to versus personal land. and That's true. And they call it a checkerboard reservation where yeah. you have... Yes. Bits, you know, there's a there's a parcel here, there's a parcel over here, but it's not one big block of reservation solid, land, solid right? Land. No, it's right. Like maybe twenty acres here, three acres here, fifteen acres over there. So when you talk about land and then sovereign, you know, sovereignty of that um, police force, you know, the fire department, what we have sovereignty or what we have regulation. We were talking earlier. And I think, Billy, you made a good um, point about how the jurisdiction of the tribe is kind of complicated when yeah, you come over. It right? is kind of complicated. So there's land that can be that can be as a police officer. You can work as a tribal police officer, and land you can work as tribal police slash county officer. And the county can only come to what is county land. But tribal can go to either side okay. because they have um, cross deputized. Yeah, I can. Yeah, in a way, it's cross deputized through the county. So, like for instance, I have my private land, and it's right across the road from tribal land. County can come help me at my private land, and the tribal police can come help me at my private land. But right across the road is tribal land. They can't. The county can't go over there. It's only tribal people. Tribal police can go do that. Okay. And what about the fire department? Is it the same as far fire as Fire department, I don't think it's quite the same. I don't know the whole ins and outs on okay. that. But I don't think fire department is quite the same. I think the fire department can more. The fire department has a large jurisdiction. I don't know if you recall our other podcast with Ronnie Ray. He was talking about how jurisdiction for them is way out in Butler, Butler Street and all that. I think they share theirs a little more with other, like if we was sitting here and there was a fire and our fire department needed help, I'm thinking Atmore could come help. Okay. They have, best I understand, they have memorandums of understanding. Yes. um, MOUs, which are basically these documents that both sides agree, hey, if, if we're in a situation where we need assistance, you'll come back us up for assistance and vice versa. Like we understand that we've got, you know, you've got these capabilities and we have these capabilities. And at the end of the day, our goal is to take care of the people that need our help the most, however that happens. And, and I right. think police are, the police are 
if they haven't went to that, they're they're going to that. That they can still they can they're in the heat of something. They can they can come in and say, "Hey, we're on our way." Blah blah blah. We're coming in. Mm. Yeah. So we got off track just a little bit, but I think all of that is super important to understand our land and how it works. And I think the other piece of it when we're talking about land is to recognize that the tribe not only has its, you know, quote unquote, trust or reservation land, but it also has a lot of land that it's taken into fee. It's it's fee land. So that is different than trust reservation land because it's land that we have bought from private owners and we can't we don't necessarily enjoy all of the privileges that trust or reservation land bring along with it but it's still tribal land it's just like an individual owning their private land we own this private land that is fee land which is fee Mm -hmm. we pay taxes on and Mm -hmm. so trust land is has a little more it's more it's more federal involved. That's so it right. Has a little bit more stipulations as yes. far as what canning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just want to make sure that we put that out there because you know, you look around and it's like, well, the reservation might start here from this angle and yeah, this land belongs to the tribe, but that's not reservation land. That's mm-hmm. correct. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand it. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's hard to understand. It mm-hmm. is. And it changes a lot, too. So let's talk just a little bit about the fight for land rights. Because we didn't come across this just easily. The the, the federal government didn't just say, here, here you go. Y'all, t- y'all take it. Um, and subsequent to that, even after having that federal land or those land grants, um, we were in several lawsuits with timber companies. So can y'all help us understand that a little bit more? Well, a lot of the land started, originally it started with when we got the Lemmigee land. It wasn't necessarily considered a reservation when Lemmigee's heirs got here. It wasn't anything like that. It was just a community of Indian people. Um, The timber companies took up a lot of lands that was, taken that was other tribes that other tribal members had gotten into uh homesteads mm. they homesteaded land they didn't get grant lands they homesteaded lands like um area bell creek the gibsons homesteaded a bunch of lands there and eventually timber companies bought it up maybe tax issues maybe they sold it i mean it's different a lot of different reasons why it was taken um I don't know a whole lot about the court cases from mm. any of them, but um, I know a lot of that ended up being just it was homestead lands, not grant land. I see, and that would have been a uh, individual, individual family, someone coming and claiming timber on that land that doesn't didn't necessarily have the rights to of a timber company, but they were also encroachment of land. Mm. So then, when they think that they had the ownership or the rights to the timber, then they thought they had the ownership of the land. So, again, those boundaries were not defined, so they were kind of encroachment of the land. So, let's touch on a little bit about um, 
this colonial European mindset versus a Creek mindset. Because I think as I educate myself more about Native American issues in general, but also just about the history of our tribe and our Creek people, you, I'm beginning to recognize how much my perspective has been influenced by this colonial mindset. And I think it's really important to figure out or to just kind of put out there and help people understand, help our audience understand what is a colonial European mindset and what is not. So before European settlers came, this idea of ownership really didn't exist in the same way that Europeans had this idea of ownership. I don't think in the same sense. I mean, the best way I can think about it is modern times now, if you own land, say you own that 640 acres of grant land, are you going to let a bunch of people move on your land? Heck no. That's a colonial mindset. Uh-huh. You get what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Is they Because back then, that's what they got the land for, and they let those people move on to that land. Mm. Because... They were used to these small towns, these small creek towns. Mm-hmm. They lived in these small creek towns. These small creek towns shared each other. They shared their gardens. Yeah, they shared we, their houses. They shared their they shared their stuff. And so we were you, more of a community of sharing communal life. Yes. The land belonged to everyone, not just to an individual. Mm-hmm. So it was like a group in, and I like, had this belongs to all of us, not just to one individual. And our grandparents and things like that still lived that way. Mm. They still you hear about their stories, they still, you walk down the road, you're just going to get fed if you come to somebody's house. Mm-hmm. Or if they they had something in the garden and you needed it, you, you could go get it. Mm-hmm. They still lived that community way. So it was like land was for the people, not for the individual. Mm. So, and it's a communal 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 lifestyle. And that's what made, that's what makes Creek people, Creek people. I think that's what makes Native Americans, Native Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's community what, as a whole. They're really tight knit groups of people. That's mm-hmm. what sets us apart, but still does. I yeah. mean, you can still feel that same, even though we're um, you know into like all two thousands. All three still. of us have some kind of common connection. Mm-hmm. We st- we know each other really well. We know it's, we're still communal when we see each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in a time of need, not necessarily. Now we're gotten into that modern world where you work and you provide for your family. But, I mean, you can see it many times where somebody of our own community need anything, we're there to provide. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, and, I, and you're right, Brandy. I see that a lot with um, the giving that we do, mm-hmm. the way that we help each other, the way that if there's a family that we know is in need, hey, such and such yes. has You know, it's just been diagnosed with cancer. Let's do a fundraiser. Let's do a fish fry. Let's do a sports tournament. Let's do this. Let's do that. And and help our person, you know, that's part of our community that we know is in need. Um, And I will also say that what's really cool to me also is we have a community garden still. Mm -hmm. And you can go right up there. And And you can go get what you need. Yep. And it's not where it's a defined, like, no, this is just for this one person. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's for, for the, the community. community. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think that's where that different mindset, you know, there's a def- 
a definite boundary of like a mindset of individualism versus a community. And mm-hmm. I think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, that ownership of land. Well, this land belongs to me versus this land belongs to us as now, a whole. Mm-hmm. Creek people had to turn into the ownership as encroachment from British and stuff come on to the Creek Nation. They had to they had to put a boundary in the Creek Nation they, mm-hmm. with them, with the, encro- the encroachment of British people. They had to put a boundary. They had to say, this is Creek Nation. You mm-hmm. can't come over here. Mm-hmm. And the only reason is because they were losing land so quickly. Right, because the communal they because the communal aspect was not respected. Yeah. That's correct. Because they was okay with traders coming in. They was okay with people that was respecting their culture. They was okay with that. They was okay with accepting them. They wasn't okay with the ones that wasn't respectful and but wasn't respecting that. We also talk about when we were talking about um, that hunting ground. So you go and you take an individual coming in, um, colonizing, coming in and staking claim to a certain portion of land where it would have been a, I don't know, like a dedicated hunting land. Well, then, you know, that's devastating if you can't come and that's your original, you know, hunting lands. And then they're saying, no, that's this land belongs to me now. Well, that's devastating. Re- yeah, you relied to the on Creek that community. Too. That's our hunting land versus you don't step foot here. This doesn't belong to you anymore. So. And I've been, I was um, sharing this book with Brandy and Billy earlier. It's called Unworthy Republic, The Dispossession of Native Americans and the Road to Indian Territory. It's by Claudio Sant. And I've still been working through this book. It's so chock full of just all sorts of really great information. But one of the lines in the book says, in truth, only one thing was truly irreconcilable. Native and white ownership of the same land. Mm. That's pretty deep. It is. But you think about just from that one disagreement, all of the things that came out of that. Overland. Mm-hmm. Overland. And so there, there is something I think we've talked a lot about, the, the tangible but also the intangible things. And there are things about land that, you can speak, but then there are just things that can't be spoken when it comes to land because there's a whole feeling and there's this attachment that's really hard, I think, to completely put into words when it's, it comes to land. It's really hard, especially with somebody, with people that have roots as deep as Native people do in mm-hmm. these areas. Mm-hmm. I know for me, if I go to visit my in-laws in Colorado. By the time I get home, I'm ready to get home. I'm re- And then I come, once I start seeing swamplands and areas, it's like, I'm home. Yeah. <laughs> Pine trees. Yeah, and- <laughs> start feeling that. I feel more comfortable. This is me. Yeah. So the only last thing I think we haven't talked about that I do want to touch on before we close out our time together is this idea of Hamlet's. Um, So now we consider Porch Band of Creek Indians, Porch Band of Creek Indians, like this is Porch. And it goes from the casino to here on, you know, off of Exit 54. It's it's Exit 57, Exit 54. It's the tribal complex and the campus. And and to a certain extent, it includes Creek Indian Enterprises Development Authority and um, 
of course, Wind Creek Atmore and all. And we consider all of that kind of collectively porch. Mm -hmm. But it hasn't always been that way. No. So porch... This the whole area of what is now known as porch was split into hamlets. And a lot of the older people are still claim like if you ask them where they're from, they say, I'm mm-hmm. from Hedapita. Yeah, it was an identity. It's their identity is who they are. Mm-hmm. And don't mix it up. That's how they feel. So Hedapadita was the area where the tribal complex is here now where we're at. It's it maybe span from here to Judson Cemetery area um, and Jack Springs Road, maybe a little further than Jack Springs Road. Oh, it would have been Porch Road. Powwow Grounds Powwow and Grounds. St. Anna's and yes. now considering the museum. And yeah. So that was Head, our tribal, head our tribal headquarters yeah. would be Head of And Head mm-hmm. was named from the creek that comes through here, which is the Head of Padita River. Mm. It uh, starts not far up the road. Um, then you had the next hamlet, which was to the was that to the east, which is Porch, and it was known as Porch Switch. There's a lot of com- conflict and stories from it. It was from what a lot of what I was told was Porch Switch come from the switch station right there, railroad tracks. Mm-hmm. So Porch Porch Switch started right the railroad tracks in that area, and worked its way around to Bell Creek Road. Mm. where Bell Creek Road is. So then north of that is a the hamlet that was Bell Creek that's really not, it's not there anymore. Like it's um, it's a lot of private land, so a tribe owns some of the land there. It's not a community anymore, mm-hmm. but it was Bell Creek. Um, Bell Creek was the area around Bell Creek. Well, it's the Bell Creek subdivision that we have now, which mm-hmm. is where it's named after, but also um, the hunting. Um, yeah, up, up. Bell Creek Road up yeah. around where the hunt club. Yeah, so stuff that would have took you to Monroe County. Yeah, it took you into McCullough and all that. Okay. So then after that, the next one to the east is Hawk Fork. Mm-hmm. Hawk Fork was smaller than the rest, um, and it started the big section between Bell Creek Road and the big curve. Right there was that uh, old Blackshire Road, I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. That's where Hogfort started. Okay. And it worked its way around New Home, New Home Cemetery, all that Hogfort. Mm-hmm. I can't get a definitive answer on it, but it's named Hogfort, and there's a creek that comes through there. It's called Pig Branch. Mm. It's the only way I can think of how it got named. Mm. That's really interesting. That Well, and Ironically, it sounds like we also culturally stayed true to who we were as Creek people because um, the whole way we got the name Creek is because Europeans and settlers always saw us living besides beside waterways and beside creeks. Mm-hmm. And similarly, these hamlets, it sounds like mm-hmm. every single one of them, except for one, maybe Porch Switch, it, it's it named. Had little, it had a little stream creek. Did it? Yeah, and a lot of them fed off of Bell Creek. Mm. So, I mean, all of them were kind of named after waterways and, and yep. water. And, and also the way you're talking about how that creek culture was maintained with that. It was, I think also we can call them hamlets. Mm-hmm. But I would like to think of them as creek towns. Mm-hmm. Creek towns were close to each other traditionally. Mm-hmm. They wasn't too far away because you had to walk back and forth to each other or ride or however back and forth. I feel 
that these little these were like little small creek towns. Edelwa. Yeah. Yeah. Each having their own connection, even though they might have been in a different community, they were still um like family. Mm. You know, maybe yeah. not close, but these are all relatives of one another living in close proximity of one Well, another. and it just kind of brings us back full circle to what we were talking about, about that Lynn McGee land grant, you know, mm-hmm. how that land was set aside mm-hmm. and like-minded people, like-minded Creek people kind of were drawn. Meshed together and ones that was left or however, they all meshed and come together there. Mm-hmm. And there's still some of those, I mean, are still, you can see over generation, those people are still, you know, living in and around, you know, their family homes and their family land. Absolutely. I'll tell you, uh, my great granny, she tickled me. And I know y'all, y'all, y'all probably have similar stories about your grandparents and great grandparents too. But Billy, you talking about, you know, don't, don't get it confused now. Don't you get it confused. <laughs> don't you get it confused. There is a lot of pride about where yes. you grew, which community you come from. And uh, I remember we were teasing Granny one day and said, Granny, you know, where you want to be buried? You want to be buried at New Home? You want to be buried at Judson? Don't you bury me over in Hog Fork now. You better bury me at Judson. Because that's where she's from. Uh-huh. That's where her people are. Yeah. And it's the same thing with ones from Porch or ones from Hog Fork. They're... They want to be buried with their people mm-hmm. in buried the community of where they come from. I, and I think the reason she was like that, too, is because... Papa DC, if I'm not badly mistaken, I think he was from Hog Fork community. And she meant to say, Oh, don't you bury me with his folks. I love him and I love his they my sisters and my brothers too, but I won't be buried with my I won't be buried with my folks. That's it. And again, we're following that uh, matrilineal. I'm I'm right there with my own mom, my granny. Being I was saying how it's kind of like Creek Towns were set up, they Married across lines. Mm-hmm. So we have family that's at Judson, and we also have family that's in the new home. Mm-hmm. We all have that. Oh, absolutely. Because they, was, they married across these these yeah. little arbitrary little lines. But I tell you right now, D.C. ain't buried over in but, new home. He's buried. But you tell, and, we talk <laughs> about, and we talk about this matrilineal thing. Where did D.C. go? Oh, he went where Granny is. Uh-huh. Well, way. even when they got married, thing. she didn't. She didn't move to Hogford. He moved to her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah. that's a Creek concept. That's, that's an old, concept. you know, historical and, concept. And and so so wonderful to know that that is still alive and well. And I think there are things that we do naturally and. Subconsciously, subconsciously, that we don't think about it until you start pointing it out, mm-hmm. and then yep. you're like, "Wow, that's where and that tradition." A lot comes of those yep. elders, elders, they didn't call none of that creek ways or anything. That's just who they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they didn't know it as specifically creek. Mm-hmm. They known it as just who they are. Mm-hmm. They called different foods. They, I've heard uh, recordings of them talking about softy and things, and they called that. Softy, just because that's what it was called, not because it was a Creek word. They I didn't, see. Didn't they didn't know. recognize it, they didn't it recognize as a Creek it word. As anything mm-hmm. other than what they was raised calling it. Uh huh. Yep. That's so interesting. Well, I think this is probably a good a good way to wrap it up because I I think it just leads for a beautiful segue into our next episode and really just leaving on that note of 
the more you learn, the more you know, the more you recognize and understand that we have a lot more culturally ingrained in us than what we even realize a lot of times. Mm -hmm. I think that's so beautiful and it's such a powerful testament to the strength of our ancestors and the vibrancy of our culture still today. Mm. Yep. Thank you all so much. This has been a lovely time together. I really appreciate it. For having us. Yeah, of course. Until next time, we'll, we'll collaborate again. I think we need to. I agree. Thank you for listening to A Place Called Porch. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can visit our website, porchcreekindians.org, for more information, or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram.